Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. This morning, of course, starting this uh, new series entitled, I Hate Religion. And we're going to look at one verse of scripture uh, at the beginning, and then we're going to look at a whole lot later. But John 15, 5 uh, the Bible says, but there arose, nope, I'm in the wrong, I'm in Acts 15.5. That's not going to help me. I was wondering why it looks so confusing. Uh, John 15.5, uh, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth more, much, forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Uh, that last phrase we want to focus on this morning, without me, ye can do nothing. Uh, too, too often in especially Christian circles, we know that truth, we believe that truth, but we don't live that truth. We don't live believing that without God, we can't do anything. And it's not God saying, without me, you can't do the big stuff. Without me, you can't do the important stuff. God says, without me, you can do nothing. That even means living a life that is pleasing to God. Now, as a pastor, it probably seems odd for me to start preaching a series called I Hate Religion. I work for a church. I work for a religious institution. I make my living in the religious field. I I spent years of my life and thousands of dollars learning from religious institutions. It's how I make my, how I make my money. Uh, so it seems crazy for me to say Jesus hates religion. But the truth is, uh, I've seen religion at its best, and I've seen religion at its worst. And a lot of people like to talk about the worst that religion has to offer. We talk about the, the people who are, in, who are in, uh, in, in power and who messed up or fell or were hypocrites. And so too many people like to talk about the worst of religion. But the, the truth is, I've been hurt by religion. Many of you have been hurt by religion. I've been disappointed by religion. I've been betrayed by religion, as many of you have as well. So I, I studied the Bible, and I got to know God on a personal level, and I found out that all these so-called religions that we have in the world are completely contrary to what God gives us and God teaches us in the Bible. It is opposite of what God wants for our lives. Most man-made religions are a direct perversion of the freedom that God offers his children as a free gift. And I've experienced a lot of confusion and pain because of religion. Of course, most of you know, growing up, I was a Jehovah's Witness. And I learned very quickly the requirements 
of religion. The lists you had to obey. The doors I had to knock. The Bible studies I had to attend. The the whole list of things that I could not do because if I did them, it would be displeasing to God. And then when I was 12 years old, one of the leaders of the, the kingdom hall we attended came to our house and told us that they were disfellowshipping or rejecting my father from this religion because of a minor infraction that he had, he had committed. And it was no big deal. It wasn't anything huge. I mean, it was, he was smoking. And they said that because of that, he was no longer allowed to be a witness. Now, to my 12-year-old brain, this, this didn't make any sense. Because I knew it, everyone in the congregation knew it, that this man who had come to us and, and kicked my father out for something he didn't like, his wife had been in a coma for about 10 years, and he had a girlfriend, and everyone knew it. But no one did anything about it. No one said anything to him. So now I've got this guy telling me as a 12-year-old boy, because of what your dad did, he has no hope in the afterlife. I eventually stopped going altogether, and I became an atheist, which is just another form of religion. And I became completely opposed to God. I hated everything that had to do with God, every religion, every religious person, every Christian. I thought they were all hypocrites, and I, I just I bashed them every chance I got. I didn't like them because I thought that they thought they were better than me. And let's be honest, a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, they act like they're better than people who aren't Christians, and that's a shame to the cause of Christ. But I felt that they, the religious people thought they were better than everyone else, and so I didn't like them. I didn't like religion. But then I'm in April, and I still hated religion, but she was cute. And so she said, well, if you want to date me, you got to go to church. And so eventually through her, y'all have all heard the story, eventually through her, I found my way to God. I accepted Christ as my Savior. We began studying the scriptures, we began studying the Bible. And then I began, I became a part of another religion, the IFB movement. I became part of a church that proclaimed the gospel, but they put a whole lot of extra biblical rules on those who claimed to be followers of Jesus. Things you could wear and couldn't wear. Things you could read and couldn't read. Places you could go and couldn't go. And so I had these lists of rules, and I became a leader. And through my zeal and lack of knowledge, I ended up hurting a lot of people. I obeyed the rules. I checked off my lists of do's and don'ts. I felt that I was better than people who claimed to be believers but didn't live up to my standards. Even if they were at another church, even if they were, another, if, even if they were a pastor or a leader of a church, if they didn't meet my standards, I felt I was a better Christian than them. And then I went to a college that was very religious. They taught the same rules The same lists were given that we had to obey and go through. We still had the same better than everyone else who claims to be a believer of Jesus but doesn't do what we want to do kind of attitude. And after I graduated, I decided to start a church. And I was going to start a church just like I'd been a part of, start a church just like the college I'd been to that trained me to be. And so I was excited to start that. And then then something happened. The pastor of the church of the college I attended his hypocrisy was revealed. He, they say he fell into sin, but he didn't fall into sin. He was discovered. He was living in sin, and it came out. 
And people saw how wicked he'd been living for years and the things he'd done. And he ended up going into getting a lot of legal trouble because of what he did. And his, his, his whole, the things he preached about, he was living completely opposite. And it hurt a lot of people. And it hurt me. And so I was confused. I felt betrayed. So I turned to the Bible. I decided I was going to stop caring what some man ta- told me. I was going to stop caring what some man said God believed in and what God was important to God. And I was going to study the Bible and I was going to find out what was important to God. I was going to find out what truly mattered to God. Did the things, did the lists that I was keeping, did they matter? Did they bring honor to God? Did they please God? Or did, did God hate them because of how many people I had hurt with the way I lived? And so as I studied the Bible, I found a purpose and a plan that I'd I'd never been taught before. I found a way to God, a way to please God, that doesn't involve good works. It doesn't involve good behavior. It doesn't involve a list of do's and don'ts. And here's the thing, most of us as believers, we believe that for salvation. We know the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know, yes, you get saved only by what God has done, only by his death, burial, and resurrection is what brings you salvation. It's none of us. It's all of him. We know that. We believe that. We proclaim that. We amen that. But then after we get saved, we start living a life that is completely opposite of that. I got saved by grace through faith, but I please God as a believer through works. I please God as a believer by how I behave and how I do things and things I wear and things I listen to and all these other things. And the the Bible doesn't teach that at all. I found that knowing and trusting and following God has very little to do with me and has everything to do with God. See, God requires one thing of me. Acceptance. Acceptance of his free gift of salvation. Acceptance of of adoption into his family. Acceptance of being his child. And my connection with God is a gift that I can choose to accept or I can choose to reject. That's it. That's all I can do. I can accept, accept a relationship with God or I can reject it. That's the only thing I have to do. There's no more or no less required of me. Now, people have tried to add to and take away from this truth in their own search for God. And when we try to add to or take away from the truth of the Bible, it's no longer truth. It's a lie. And it's religion. When we talk about religion, it brings up a lot of arguments from people on a lot of different sides. You've got people on one side who refuse to talk about religion, refuse to talk about God because they think it's inappropriate. You should never ask anyone about their beliefs. And then you've got people on the other side who they will go to war over what they believe. They will hurt people over what they believe. And then you've got people in the middle who have been hurt by both sides. So I want to lay a foundation and a context about religion as we get into this series. When I say religion, a lot of things come to your mind. Most of you probably think of a Catholic church or the, some, some t- other type of religion. 
But when I say religion, I am talking about our man-made efforts to get to God. Either our man-made efforts to get to God for salvation, or our man-made efforts to please God after salvation. I'm talking about our man-made paths to God. Either for salvation or after salvation, the paths that we have to make ourselves worthy of God. And religion has been around for a very long time. It began in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve took fig leaves and tried to cover themselves... They were trying to hide their shame from God and get pleased in the sight of God. So they, they were making coverings themselves. Then it continued through Cain and his bloodless offering in Genesis 4. These were the first man-made attempts to get back to God. And the Bible shows us a path for a perfect God to have a relationship with imperfect man. There is a way for us, imperfect, sinful, corrupt man, to have a relationship with a perfect God, but the path by design is only a path that God can make available. Man, because of our imperfection, are incapable of making a path like that. And throughout history... Well-meaning religious leaders have ignored their own human limitations. They've created paths that they think lead to God, but instead they're dead ends. They're stifling, broken religions. Religion usually boils down to a list of do's and don'ts that get us gold stars from God when we behave and bring us judgment from God when we break the rules. And God hates all of these paths because they result in a life filled with frustration and guilt, and they don't get us to God. God also hates them because at the root of every single one of them is pride. I can be good enough to get to God. Religion is pride. They teach that if if I'm good enough on my own, I can climb my way to God. I can stack up enough good deeds that I can stand on them and, and get to God. I can fix the distance between me and God that sin has caused. Religion believes it can right what was wrong. It can make me good enough. It makes me the way to God. But Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to God but by me. God didn't say I'm a way. Jesus didn't say I'm I'm the best way. He said I am the way. And if you look it up in the Greek, he is saying I am the one and only way there will ever be to get to God. There's no shortcut to God except through Jesus. And that's what makes Christianity different from religion. See, Christianity isn't made up a list of of a list of do's and don'ts. It's it isn't about me climbing my way to God because I can't. It's about God coming down to me. It's about Jesus doing for me what I could never do for myself. See, religion turns the deed into the destination. It isn't about God It's about me being God. 
So religion, whether it's legalists, where everyone has to follow their rules, or, or it's a liberal religion where everyone wants to do their own thing, it's about me doing it on my own. Me working to get to God and me working to please God. And Christianity isn't, set, isn't founded on a, religious, a set of religious principles. Christianity is founded on, a, on an event. It is founded on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is founded on. See, when Jesus was buried in the tomb, religion was buried with him. And when he rose three days later, a relationship is what came out. Religion is our attempt to find our way back to God. But God knew, and if we're honest, we know it too, that we can't do it on our own. It is impossible for us to get to God. It is impossible for us to please God on our own. So God found a way to us. He came in the form of Jesus. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a death on the cross that we should have, we should have suffered. He was buried and rose again to make a way for us to get back to God. The resurrection is about life. See, religion's about death. Religion is a, is a dead end. And many of us have hit a dead end at some point in our life, in some area of our life. Maybe it's a dead end in a career. Maybe it's a dead end in a, in a job you're working. Maybe you, you hit a dead end while you were trying to lose weight and you just you couldn't go any further. Maybe it's a dead end in a relationship. Or maybe it's a dead end in your pursuit of a relationship to God. All of us are on a journey from religion to relationship. And in this journey, we're going to hit some dead ends. So what are they? First dead end we're going to hit is the dead end of self-trust. The dead end of self-trust. See, our Western culture has told us that we have to be successful. We have to succeed. We've got to succeed at work. We have to succeed in, in, our, in, our, in our, our, our childrearing. We have to succeed with our marriages. We have to be successful. In every area of our life, we have to to be successful. And we, we measure the amount of our success based on our accomplishments. The more we do good, the more successful that we are. And so this mindset, it begins at childhood. When you, you learn to walk and your parents act like you're the most brilliant person that's ever walked the face of the planet. Oh, look, they're a year old and walking. So are millions of other people. But your parents act like you're just the smartest kid ever. Then you bring home a, a turkey that's made out of your hands and they act like it's Picasso painting. And then, you know, the, everything you do is just the greatest thing. You're on the sidelines cheering you on as you score a goal, a soccer goal and the wrong goal. But they're still like, oh, you did so great. And so our parents start this idea of I've got to do stuff to be successful, to get praise, and to feel good about myself. And we have a deep need to please others and only feel successful if we get approval by reaching a goal on our own. And that's the kicker. We try to do it on our own. Without help from anyone, without putting faith and trust in anyone else. And because of that, 
when it comes to entering a relationship with God, we find it hard to believe that he wants nothing from us. He doesn't want us to try to be good. We, we value self-sufficiency. We honor self-sufficiency. But God hates it. Remember our opening verse? Without God, we can do nothing. God doesn't want us trying to do anything on our own. He wants us to do everything through His Spirit and His power that lives inside of us. What God wants for us is to realize that we can't accomplish and rece- we can't accomplish anything and receive His grace and His power as a free gift from Him. Because, see, the whole point of the law was to show us how little we could do. Was to show us how hard it would be, impossible it would be, for us to please God. All the rules and the, 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 the things in the Old Testament were for, to teach us that we could not do enough to please God. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. <clears throat> the Bible says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. See, Paul says that the whole point of the law the whole point of the rules, and look, when you think of the law, it's not just the Ten Commandments. We tend to think, oh, the law is the Ten Commandments. No, that's just ten of them. There were thousands of rules that God gave to the Jews through Moses that they had to obey. And then he said, hey, if you break one of them, then you're going to break all of them. That meant if you, if you didn't wash your feet on the day you were supposed to wash your feet, you were guilty of everything in the law. You were guilty of being a murderer. And so God gave them some of these incredibly ridiculous rules and God says the whole point of the law was to show us how helpless we really are. We really are. It's like God came up with this set of ridiculous rules, the most ridiculous rules he could think of and then said, now if you do all these perfectly and you never mess up, then you could have a relationship with me. And the point of it all was to show us we can't do it. We can never be good enough. We can never follow enough rules to get to God. They are to point us to the one who can and the one who did all of it for us, Jesus Christ. Imagine you're, you're dead for a minute. You've died. You're standing before God in heaven outside of the pearly gates. And God asks you, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? Now, religion says, well, God, I, I tried to be a good person. I, I followed all the rules. I did more good than bad. And so that should give me enough good deeds to get into heaven. And look, being a good person is fine. Being a good person is better than being a bad person. So if you want to be a good person, be a good person. Don't be a jerk. Be a good person. But being a good person isn't enough. If you rely on that standard, then you have to be as good as Jesus. Now, by show of hands, who here is as good as Jesus? Exactly. John scratched his nose for a minute, and I was kind of worried about him. I'm like, he's raising his hand. Oh, my goodness. None of us can ever be as good as Jesus. Because only Jesus can be Jesus. And that's the point. And look, 
I know I'm preaching to the choir. Every one of y'all here, when I said, what are you going to say to God is, why should, I, why should I let you in? Every one of you, I guarantee you, thought, because I've accepted Christ as my Savior, I've got the blood of Jesus on my account. That's the only thing you can say. We all know that. Let's do something else. You're still standing before God. You're not dead. You're alive. But you're standing before God. And he asks, I know you're my child. I know you're saved. But why should I have a relationship with you? Why should I fellowship with you? Why should I get involved in your life at all? What are you going to say? Most believers will say the same thing as religion. Because I go to church, God. Because I tithe, God. Because I, I try to be a good person. I try to teach my kids right. I try to, try to do good. I, I, I help out when I can. Lord, I, I, I do the right things. I wear the right stuff. I say the right things. I'm, I'm doing all the rules, God. But it still doesn't matter. Because that's not why God wants a relationship with us. So we, we follow all the rules. But whose rules? They're man's rules. Because rules that man came up with, because they thought they knew what God wanted out of them. But again, we hit a dead end. Because as believers, the standard is still Jesus. The Bible says a lot about what it looks like to be like Jesus. But we're going to look at five of them this morning. So we've already, you know you're getting to heaven because you've got the blood of Jesus on your account. Great. If that's not the case, we need to talk. But I know most of all of us here are believers. We're, we're professing believers. So you got, you're going to heaven because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You've accepted him as your Savior. We got that. Why should God have a relationship with you? Well, because I'm a good person. Great. You want to have a relationship with God? You've got to be as good as Jesus. Let's look at five things about Jesus, about what we should be like this morning. Matthew 5.44. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's a hard one. Love your enemies. I mean, look, I can get on board with don't kill your enemies. I can get on board with just avoid talking to them because you know it's going to make you mad to your enemies. But Jesus says, you want to be like me, you have to love your enemies. And it's not just in love only. Like, you know, we say, I love your brother. He goes, you got to love them. you got to pray for them. And you have to be good to them. You have to hold the door for them when they're coming through with, with their arms full. You can't just slam them in their face and laugh at them. When you're driving down the road and you see them on the side of the road with a flat tire in the rain, you got to stop and help them change a tire to people you don't like. That's a hard standard to live up to. But maybe, maybe you're good. You'll be like, I do that. I love many. I treat them well. I do everything I'm supposed to do. Great. Well, there's some more we need to look at. Ephesians 5.20. Giving thanks. How often? Always. Giving thanks. Always. For all things. Oh, no, that's the wrong one. I skipped a bunch. That's why y'all weren't listening. All right. Giving thanks. How often? Always. For what things? All things. Giving thanks. Look, nobody in my household lives up to this. They're not thankful for Cheerios. How can you not be thankful for Cheerios? But, I mean, God says, hey, he doesn't say, hey, be thankful for most of the stuff when your day's going good. No, God says, be thankful always 
for everything that includes the bad things. That includes you're thankful you've got to stop and help your stupid neighbor who, who you really don't like, but you've got to love him anyway when you got a flat tire in the rain. You're thankful for that. So Jesus said, you want to be like me? Great. Love, every, love your neighbor. Be good to people that hate you. You want to be like me? Give thanks for all things, always for all things unto God. Here's another one. Be careful for nothing. Now the word careful means anxious or worried. Want to be like Jesus? Then don't worry about anything ever. Still okay? How many of y'all can honestly say, I never worry about anything? If you got your hand up, you're a liar. We worry. But Jesus, you want to be like me? Don't worry about anything ever. Here's another one. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Not rejoice when things are good. Rejoice in God all the time. But let's say you're sitting there saying, I'm four for four right now. Well, I think you're lying. But whatever. You're four for four. You love your neighbor. You're always thankful for everything. You're rejoicing all the time. You never worry about anything. Let's look at the last one that we're going to look at. Be ye holy, for I am holy. We all just failed. We can't keep that list. And that's just five of them. There are thousands that God says, you want to be like Jesus? You have to do this. That's the path to God if you want to take it. Be just like God. And you can try and follow it on your own, but I don't recommend it. But Christianity isn't a religion. Christianity isn't us doing enough to get to God or us doing enough to have a relationship with God. It's about God doing everything needed for us. He did what we could never do, so we have to end our self-trust. But there's another dead end we need to look at, the dead end of self-effort. Again, our culture tells us to be successful. We have to, have to accomplish a lot of things. We have to do good to be good. We are conditioned to find acceptance by what we do. And if I perform good, then I am good in every area of my life. But that makes us think the same things about our relationship with God. If we perform good, he will see us as good. The idea that God actually wants an intimate relationship with us, not based on our merits or not based on our accomplishments, it's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to grasp. We feel we have to, we, we feel like we, we've run from God too much. We've made too many mistakes to, to be able to pay off that debt. And so we feel that there's something we have to do to impress Him, to be worthy of His love and His attention. And we fail, we try and we fail over and over and over again. And we have to get to the place where we understand our efforts to please God are never going to be enough. There's freedom in that realization. There's peace in understanding that. Because it takes the burden that I never should have carried off of me. Ephesians 2 8 9, we looked at it already. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, grace is God's 
riches at Christ's expense. It is unmerited and it's amazing. It is freely given and must be freely accepted. Becoming a Christian isn't about praying a prayer. You know, you can study the Bible from cover to cover, which I have. There is no sinner's prayer in there. You know, we take people to a sinner's prayer, but there's no sinner's prayer. So you don't become a Christian because you prayed a prayer. There's no prayer in there. It's, it's about making a commitment. It is about accepting what he did for you out of his grace by faith as a free gift. It is doing nothing to earn it. That's not only the way you become a Christian, but it's also how you walk with God after becoming a Christian. Look at Colossians 2 here. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Jesus? By working hard? No. By being good enough? No. By grace, through faith. So how do you walk with God after you're saved? By working hard? No. By trying to be good enough? No. By grace, through faith. There's one more verse I want to look at and I want to, that, that shows you how to become and walk as a Christian. John 3.16, we all know it. And choosing black font there was a poor idea. But you know what it says, it's not blacked out, I promise you. For God so loved the world that he, his only begotten son, that whosoever in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those four words are the summary of the whole Bible. Loved, gave, believe, and have. Loved, God loved. God loved the whole world. Now that's great news because you are part of the world. Because every one of us were away from God, no matter how you lived your life, no matter how you grew up, no matter what your, your childhood or your adulthood or your teen years were like, God loves you. And he loves you so much that he was moved to do something about the separation between God and man. So God loved and it caused him to give. God loved you, so he gave. That's the gospel right there. And that's all you have to know. God loved, so God gave. He loved the world, so he gave his son. His son died for you and gave his life for you and rose again for you. So God loved, God gave. What do we have to do? Believe. We have to believe in him. doesn't say on him. Believe in him. Believe in his love for us and his giving his son for us. We know God loves, we know God gave, and we have to believe that, but we have to trust in that. It's like a stool. You know, you can have a stool up here, and I meant to have one up here, uh, but you have a stool, and you can believe the stool is going to hold your weight all you want to. But until you actually sit in the stool with all your weight, you're not really putting your belief in it. You can lean on the stool with one leg on the ground just to brace yourself. That's not believing in the stool. You have to put all your weight on the stool to believe. You can say, I believe it's going to hold me. But until you put your faith in it and actually sit in it, you're not believing in it. So you have to believe that God 
did that for you. So God gave, God loved, God gave, we believe, and because God gave, we have something. God loves, so God gave, and we believe in Him, and we receive. We have a gift from God. And when someone gives you a gift, you have something. Now, what do we have? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life is eternal life. Now, eternal life isn't the promise of living with God forever in heaven, because here's, or it's not, even, it's not the promise of living forever. Because here's the, the truth everyone lives forever. You live forever in heaven, or you live forever in hell. That's the truth. So we, we're all going to live forever, but eternal life is more than just living forever, even living forever with God. Look what Jesus said in John 13, 17, 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who now has sent. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Eternal life isn't a destination. It's a relationship with God. And it's only achieved through his work in you. Now, we're going to get into this in the, next, in the next couple weeks. I am not saying that since you can't do anything to please God, live your life as you want to. Actually, I am saying that. Live your life as you want to, but if you're a child of God, your wants are going to change. The way you want to live is going to be drastically different. We're going to look at that. But we change into the image of God. We change what we want, not because we're trying real hard, but because God is working in us. There's a difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is about us getting to God. Christianity is about God coming to us. See, God loved, God gave, we believe, and we have. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to walk with God. No lists, no trying to be good enough because you can't. It's believing and trusting in his love and his gift for you. If you've never met Jesus, today's the day to do that. Don't put it off. Stop trusting your religion and your lists and put your faith and trust in what he did. But if you're saved and you're trusting in your own works to please God, stop it because it doesn't work. You can't do it. You have to walk with him just like you met him, by grace, through faith, and allow him to do all the work in you that's needed to be done.